Welcome to this Melbourne Business School Masterclass. Today you'll be hearing from Dr. Vivek Chowdhury, Associate Professor of Strategy and the Academic Director of our Executive MBA programs. Vivek is a seasoned strategy expert who has published extensively in leading academic journals and has advised prominent CEOs and senior leaders on strategy execution. Today he will be talking about strategy as a portfolio of carefully considered bets and how senior managers can play their best hand in an increasingly volatile global landscape. Over to you Vivek. My name is Vivek Chowdhury and I'm going to be talking to you today about strategy as a portfolio of bets. I'm the uh, academic director of executive MBA programs here at Melbourne Business School and uh, hope to convince you in the course of the next few minutes that the landscape of strategy has changed quite dramatically in the recent past. Now, there's a Chinese blessing, I'm told, that says, may you live in interesting times. And I think this generation of senior management lives in interesting times for a variety of reasons. Every generation talks about change, uh, but for this generation, it's the rate and the dimensionality of change that's particularly interesting. Um, whether we look at change from the perspective of technological change, that's changing industry boundaries. If we look at change from the perspective of regulation, if we look at change from the perspective of globalization, the geopolitical realities of the world around us, all of those are leading us to a, a level of change in the landscape that is, as I said earlier, qualitatively different and therefore requires a slightly different lens by which we look at strategy. I guess one of the main points to observe in that change is that we've moved from a basis on which firms would create and sustain a competitive advantage, the standard jargon of strategy, what makes you different, um, from manufacturing and resource processing capabilities to information processing capabilities. And part of the reason for that is the change that's taken place in all the domains we were talking about a few moments ago but also because machinery, IP, capital, resources that used to be non-tradable assets are now traded in the marketplace. What that means is that someone with deep enough pockets is going to be able to, in shorter periods of time, replicate what used to be the basis of a competitive advantage for firms in the past. So that's why I said that we're moving from manufacturing and resource processing capabilities to firms having to think about information processing because that world is one in which we uh, move into the importance of human capital, one in which we move into the importance of a whole set of assets that aren't traded in the marketplace. The myriad factors that are changing the landscape so rapidly actually have very explicit implications for strategy formulation and implementation. One of the key aspects of this is that we're dealing with shorter strategy cycles. The periods of success for firms, that is the time period in which I can rest on my competitive advantage, the sustainability of that competitive advantage, is getting shorter and shorter because of all of that change. And so with shorter strategy cycles, we need to rethink the formation of strategy itself. Which brings me to the, the starting point of how we think about strategy. When one considers the realm of strategy it's often thought of in terms of the old military analogy. And in fact, much of our understanding of the strategic landscape comes from military parallels. And so strategy is often 
thought of as the, the metaphor that is often used is to take the observable hill in the landscape. Take the peak. So the landscape is a metaphor for value in the world around us. And strategy is about how do I take the value maximizing peak, taking into account the enemy combatants in front of me and the landscape that is in front of me that is fixed. My contention to you is that the business environment today requires a consideration of a far more fluid and dynamic landscape than the fixed landscape of the old military analogy. The basic objective of the firm hasn't changed. So the objective of the firm is still about value creation, and in particular, intertemporal value creation, value today and value tomorrow. But the way that we do that may well change if the landscape in which we are operating has changed. So while it made sense to say, let's construct strategy that enables us to traverse a fixed landscape heading towards that observable peak, what are we to do in a world where the landscape isn't fixed? What are we to do in a world where there is the rate and dimensionality of change that I talked about a few moments ago? Where technologies are changing, where markets are changing, where geopolitics is changing, where the capacity to buy and sell assets is changing. And I'm going to suggest that in that kind of world, we actually need to think of strategy as a portfolio of bets, um, rather than just a move towards one observable peak. So strategy now in this environment, in this endogenous landscape, needs to be thought of as a far broader set of possible activities that includes perimeter scanning and setting out scouts into domains that we had perhaps not previously thought about. Let me take a short detour before we go into the details of how one might actually construct a portfolio in this changing uncertain world of strategy. And the detour is about benchmarking. So consider a term that is used in most businesses around the world, the term benchmarking, or indeed best in class, which is organizations attempts to look at what the leader of the pack is doing within a fixed landscape context. That lens of benchmarking or pursuing best in class practice made perfect sense when the sensible thing from a strategic perspective was to follow the leader of the pack towards the observable peak in the landscape. So if I, if I know where the value maximizing outcome is, and that is the mountain in front of me, and I know that the person out the front of the pack is closest to the mountain in front of me, then the smartest thing to do is to map out what that person is doing, to benchmark against what practices and strategic endeavors that person or organization has, and to say, let us follow in their footsteps. The problem with that lens, the problem with that approach, is in a world where the landscape is not fixed. It's in a world where best in class or the leader of the pack is not necessarily heading towards a value maximizing peak, but the very actions of all of the industry or all of the other participants following in the footsteps of the leader is to change the landscape itself. And so instead of heading towards a peak, we end up plummeting and, and uh, herding towards a cliff as we all trample as quickly as we can towards that observ seemingly observable peak. And the point again is that the landscape need not necessarily remain fixed in today's world. 
So if the landscape is not fixed, then part of what I want to do in strategy construction is to think about not just the observable peaks, but where else might there be value maximising outcomes that are not as obvious? And this is where the benchmarking lens prohibits and, and constrains our vision because we are necessarily constrained to that that we can see. A lot of the innovation that takes place in lots of markets tends to come from without, that is, that tends to come from outside the incumbent firms in an incumbent landscape, incumbent industry, um, in part because those firms that come up with new ideas and new products and new processes do so without the constraint of vision that is the observable peak. They look at opportunities that are not obvious. They move in dimensions and directions that are far from trivial. So strategy as a portfolio of bets requires the appropriate construction of such a portfolio. And I just want to spend a few minutes talking about what such a portfolio construction ought to look like and what elements it needs to have. The first point to consider is how we think about risk and uncertainty. So the, the basic premise of our discussion today is that strategy in a risky, uncertain world is very, very different to strategy formulation in a fixed landscape. So if the landscape is changing, we need to think about strategy differently. And in particular, we need to be aware of what risk and uncertainty itself entails. So we want to unpack risk and uncertainty. Risk is putting probability distributions over future known states of the world. Uncertainty is actually moving us into some domains where we may not necessarily even know what the future states of the world are. So in constructing a portfolio of bets, I want to be firstly aware of what kind of risks I'm undertaking and how I'm going to evaluate those risks. I want to be aware of the temporality, that is the timing behind the different bets. So I need to be thinking through whether or not this particular bet is going to pay off um, next year, six months from now, two years from now, five years from now, and how I evaluate risk is a function also of that temporality. Another aspect in the construction of the portfolio is what geographies I'm going to play in. So if I'm thinking about strategy now, remember, is about um, putting together a, a list of possible actions that the firm is going to take that moves us into many different arenas, not all of which are observable uh, from the start, and not all of which are the peaks from the start. So the geographies are important, the timing is important, what optionality is embedded within particular actions is important. And by that I mean the observation that if I move in a certain direction, it might give me the flexibility to make future decisions that I could not have made had I not made the first decision. So a strategy may have value to me because it opens up an option space that was otherwise not as obvious. If we put all of that together, what portfolio construction entails from a strategy perspective then is getting the right mix of short longs and long shorts. Short longs are taking some short bets on actions that may pay off very big um, under certain states of the world. So there's some risk, there's some uncertainty, uh, there's uh, the issues around temporality and timing associated with that, but they could be very, very beneficial to us in certain states of the world. Long shorts are the ones where we are actually taking some steps towards the observable peaks. 
So we're going to put some money behind things that we can, we can see and we know they're going to pay off, um, at least in the short run. My point here is that strategy for firms has to have the right mix of short longs and long shorts. And it can't just be about the single peaked outcome of taking the observable mountain. So where does this leave us? This leaves us with the observation that I need to construct a portfolio of possible bets. But in assessing how the optimal portfolio ought to look, we also need to be thinking carefully about how we evaluate outcomes. One of the mistakes is to use the same metrics and lenses that we have in the past on strategy in a risky, uncertain world in terms of evaluating what success looks like. What we need to do is think of success for the portfolio as a whole, not for individual actions. This requires a quite substantive change for most organisations because it's a change in the organisational architecture. Organisational architecture is an interesting term. If, if one asks a group of economists or finance folk um, <clears throat> what is required for firm level performance, they will almost always say that it's largely about incentives and contracts. If you get the right set of incentives and contracts in place, you will get firm level performance. If you ask a group of management theorists, how do we get firms to perform well? They will tell us that it's about structures, that it's about making sure we have decision and control rights uh, well positioned within firms so that the right person is able to make the right decision with the right set of information and the right resources. And if you ask a group of HR folk or organisational psychologists, how do we get firm level performance? They'll tell us that it's largely about culture that we have to make sure that people can work well in teams, that organisations uh, are um, dynamic and, and supportive. And the idea of organisational architecture is that those three things, incentives and contracts, structure and culture, have to work together. So if an organisation needs to do well in the long run, it needs to have an organisational architecture that considers those three elements in consort of each other. We can't say, let's fix the incentives and contracts, but leave the structure and culture fixed. Nor can we say, I'll just fiddle with culture while not affecting incentive and contracts or structure. So really, organisational architecture is the, the building blocks that enable a firm to think about value creation quite differently. You're listening to Dr Vivek Chowdhury's Masterclass podcast. After the break, Vivek will touch on the cost of innovation in a strategic portfolio. To those chosen to come here and to the organisations they represent, congratulations and welcome. You're making a clear announcement that you want to do more, achieve more and be more. While you're with us, you'll be among the best, learning from the best. You'll leave changed and then be called upon to lead change. So to you we say, welcome to Melbourne Business School. Welcome to the world class. Thanks for tuning in. And now we're back with Dr Vivek Chowdhury to pick up where we left off. There are lots of firms that talk about the importance of innovation. Uh, and innovation is a, an arena that gets a, a lot of attention, both at a firm level and a policy level around the world today. Unfortunately, much of what passes for innovation is of the incremental type is of the small steps towards the observable peak. Drastic innovation, the kinds of innovations that um, enable firms to create large amounts of value in the long run in this risky changing world of ours, actually have to entail 
bets that are going to be worth a lot in the good states of the world, but may actually cost a lot of money at the time that the firm takes that bet. So we know from finance and a number of other realms that risk and reward go hand in hand. What most firms want to do in the innovation realm is to reward outcomes. So they reward the action that um, the firm takes and when an innovation is successful that, that's, that's deemed positively for the individual, for the unit of analysis within the firm. But what our discussion so far should lead us towards understanding is that successful firms are those that are going to be willing to take certain bets that make sense ex ante, that is before the event, but fail ex post. So that bets that are worth a lot in the good state of the world, but may actually cost a company large amounts of money in the bad state of the world. We can't foresee all the bad states of the world, but we won't be willing to take some of those really large bets if we just look at incremental successes and incremental outcomes. So strategy is a construction, uh, strategy is a portfolio of bets. The construction of that portfolio has to have the right element of short longs. The short longs are the ones that could pay off really big in certain states of the world, but are typically going to engage uh, the firm in a lot of time and resource ex ante, um, some of which may not pay off. And, and the reality here is that if we want the big wins, we have to be willing to reward things that end up being big failures ex post. They have to be evaluated in a way that made sense at the time that we went down that road. So this is what I mean by rethinking failure, not just rethink failure, sorry, around the realm of uh, individual actions within the portfolio, but also rethink failure around timing. Because firms have traditionally thought about just taking incremental steps, uh, we've, we've bought into the idea that we should experiment in the world. So the Silicon Valley mantra of failing fast is we pivot our way to value maximizing outcomes by failing and learning from failure quickly. And there is an element of truth to that. But there are many businesses, many industries, many markets in which the right thing to do is not to fail fast, but to fail slow. Because if we fail fast, we will end up missing opportunities. We will end up turning off paths that would actually yield very, very big outcomes if we were to persist with those. So understanding how long to persist with a particular path within the portfolio. When we want to take some longer actions and be willing to put more money behind it. When we're willing to fail bigger um, in order to see whether there is success around the corner, that's part of the challenge for this generation of managers. In a risky, uncertain world where boundaries are changing around us rapidly, if we're going to start to think about strategy as a portfolio of bets, we have to equivalently be reconfiguring our organisational architectures in a way that allows for certain elements of failure. And this is a really big point because if we just think about strategy as taking the observable peak, then success is my capacity to take that particular individual peak. But if strategy is a portfolio of bets, then success in the portfolio is necessarily going to entail some degree of failure in individual elements of the portfolio. And we need to have organisational architectures that are geared towards um, rewarding and allowing those kinds of failures to take place. That means having incentives and contracts, structures and cultures that enable us to take the right kinds of bets at the right time. 
some of which are going to pay off big and be worth a lot to the firm, and some of which are going to cost a lot to the firm and not pay off at all. That's not failure in the traditional sense of failure, that's a success if we think about it from the portfolio perspective. So this isn't to say that we don't have to carefully consider how we construct the portfolio. We have to get the long shorts and the short longs right. But we also have to consider what measure of success is. How are we assessing whether or not the firm has done well? And our underlying objectives have not changed, even though the landscape has changed. Our underlying objective is still value today and value tomorrow. Value tomorrow has to be value for the firm as a whole, not value around any particular element of the strategy. And this is the key part of getting strategy right in today's changing landscape. At the start of this talk, we mentioned briefly the importance of human capital in the changing landscape that we are now operating in and the reality that lots of what used to be non-tradable assets are now tradable assets. This manifests in the knowledge economy idea that is oft talked about, but also is relevant to businesses across all sectors because the value creating opportunities within the firm now rest not just off the back of machinery and IP and resources, but off the back of human capital that cannot be fully contracted over. Because we have incomplete contracts in the human capital space, the capacity for individuals to create and destroy value in the organisational chain is much bigger today than it was when labour was just working on the factory floor. This is very relevant in terms of how we assess the portfolio of bets that we make because what it leads us towards is an understanding of the importance of the labour force and in particular the human capital within firms. Part of what we talked about in the context of organisational architecture was the importance of incentives and contracts, structure and culture. And a culture for certain types of risk taking is embedded in the way that individuals in the firm are recruited, rewarded and retained within organisations. Absent an ability to rethink those elements of HR management, uh, we are going to have problems in our organisations because it will invariably be the case that those that have the capacity to think broadly, to think about innovative possibilities that aren't obvious, that aren't about the observable peaks, those that are able to do the perimeter scanning um, are going to take those ideas and principles and set up their own organisations or move to other competitive firms. So if firms think of strategy as being just about formulation and leave out the part of strategy which is implementation, which is about understanding the organisation as a whole, then that too is set up to fail. So it's not enough for us to say that the landscape has changed and as the landscape changes, we must rethink strategy construction. We must rethink this portfolio of bets Absolutely, we have to do that. But commensurate with those changes, we also have to change the way our organisations function. We have to change how human resources are managed. We have to change how innovation is rewarded. We have to change how we evaluate failure. We have to change how we think about incentives across the entire organisational architecture. This is a challenge for this generation of managers that is not um, easy, that answers to which are not easily found in business school tomes. We don't have a simple response to this, but we know this is 
the landscape in which businesses of tomorrow are going to succeed or fail. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Melbourne Business School. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you have the opportunity to listen to more in the future. Thank you again. You've been listening to Dr. Vivek Chaudhry, Associate Professor of Strategy and the Academic Director of our Executive MBA programs at Melbourne Business School. For more on strategy and Dr. Chaudhry's research, or more information about our MBA programs, please visit our website at mbs.edu.